Well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be here this morning, um, and it's really exciting to be in the second part of our series in Joshua as we look at this summer and think about the journey of the Israelites from where they were in the wilderness into the promised land. Now, just before we dive in, I've got a bit of a question. I wonder if you can relate to this situation. When you are sitting in a room, might be the living room or somewhere in your house, and you think, oh, I just need to go and get something. And so you declare this to all of those people who are in the room with you, and up you get and off you go to the other room to get this thing. And then you return back from there, having completely forgotten the thing you went to get in the first place, but instead doing something completely different. Now, I'm sure my wife would attest to this, that this is a very common occurrence in our house, and I do this very regularly. But the reason I share that little picture is because it shows us a little bit of what is going on in our passage today. Because what we've got is two spies who have been sent out by Joshua to go on a military operation, to go and get intelligence about Jericho. How will they overcome it? And the reason that Joshua sends them makes sense in the context of the chapters. As Johnny was preaching on last week about the fact that God had promised Joshua that he was going to drive out all of those nations before them and that God's people were going to settle in the promised land. And God had promised to be said to Joshua, be strong and courageous for I will be with you. So it makes sense that Joshua would send some spies to go and find out some information about what Jericho was like. But what we actually see is when they come back, they only report one thing, which is in verse 24, which is just after our reading. And it says this, all they had to say to Joshua was, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands because all the people are melting in fear because of us. So they, it seems like they came back with no military intelligence. They may have done but it wasn't seemingly important enough to be reported. And the question is, why? Why did God send, bring them back with just this report? Well, I think the first thing is that God wasn't actually interested in Joshua making a battle plan. Because he already had the battle plan of how they were going to defeat Jericho. And this is quite an important thing because we, we and they will not ever see supernatural victory in their lives and in our lives with a human-made battle plan. And that's the same for us. We will not experience supernatural victory in our lives unless we use God's battle plan. So therefore, when Joshua sent the spies, God's purpose for that trip was not to bring back military intelligence, but was to bring back encouragements to lift Joshua's faith for the fight that he was about to go on. And so let's just, as we look into the passage, it's worth, we're going to have a look at a couple of things that would have encouraged the spies on their journey. What was it that made them come back with such an encouraging statement? And hopefully there'll be a couple of things for us to take away as well. And so the first thing that we see is that God had gone before the Israelites to prepare the battleground for victory. God had gone before them. Now, I wonder if you've ever had that moment of dreaming what it would be like to go on a military operation behind enemy lines. 
I wonder if anyone would actually want to go on one, because I don't think I would. Um, but when I do picture what it might have been like, I don't imagine what the spies got, which was being given a bed to sleep in, being put under a roof, given food to eat, and being protected by one of your enemy from your enemies. I wouldn't have expected that, but yet that's exactly what happens here. And the, it's not just that they got protected by someone, but they just happened to come across Rahab. The only believer in Jericho just happened to be the first person that they saw, and Rahab just happened to meet them and get them into her house before they got caught by the king and the authorities. Just happened like that. And also we see in the passage that God had gone before Israel by the words that we see in verse 10 from our reading. Because Rahab tells us of how the people of Jericho had heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Red Sea when they came out of Egypt. And they'd heard of what the Israelites had done to Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom they completely destroyed. And it made me wonder this. I was thinking, well, how did they actually hear about this? They didn't have social media. There wasn't the news or anything like that. So it would have been word of mouth. Now, it'd be easy to shrug this off and think, oh, it's just coincidence that they happened to find out about this. But what we see this pattern of God's enemies hearing about what God's going to do in other places in the Bible too. And one of those places is in Judges chapter 7, where we meet a man named Gideon. And Gideon is called by God to, defeat, to lead Israel to defeat the nation of Midian. And he then goes on a spy mission, similar to the one in our story today, to go and spy out the enemy camp. And again, he just, him and his servant just happen to arrive at the enemy camp, in the right place of this camp, when these two people are having a conversation. And one of them has a dream, as we can see in verse 13 there. He has a dream and he's talking to his friend about this dream, and Gideon just, again, happens to be there at this moment. And then, not only do they have the dream, but then his friend interprets the dream by saying this in verse 14, that this is nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. How could you not, my question is, how could you not be encouraged by that when your enemies are telling you that you're going to win? You, you're there at the right moment when you hear your enemies having a dream and interpreting a dream about how you're going to beat them. And this is exactly a similar thing to what's happening in our passage today, where Rahab is telling the spies that they are going to win. So this is easy to shrug off as a coincidence, but those two examples show that this is not just a coincidence. And in our lives, it's easy to shrug things off as coincidence. But the truth is, with God, there is no such thing. The reality is, there is a spiritual realm that is at work in this world more than we 
may admit. And it works through God working things together for his people. Back in 2012, which when I read that and I thought how long ago that was, I was quite shocked that that's 11 years ago. The Olympics were 11 years ago. Anyway, um, back in 2012, John Piper, um, he put a tweet out which said this. He said, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, but you may only be aware of about three of them. And that's the case for the spies, as we've just seen all of those things that just happened to happen. And it's the same for us too. And this is a great source of encouragement for us as we can believe and know that God is working in our lives and preparing the ground for victory in your life today, whatever that might look like. And our task is to just open our eyes to see what's going on. That's all we have to do, is just open our eyes and say, God, show us what you're doing. And then that will build and encourage our faith. And even right now, there will be some people who may have just had a random thought come in their mind. It might have been something that happened this week or something that's coming up. That's not a coincidence that that's come into your mind in the last few minutes. That's the Holy Spirit putting it on your heart and showing you what he's been doing in your lives. Because he is at work. And the first thing that we see that this would have encouraged the spies was that God had gone before them to prepare the ground for victory. And the second is this. The second is that we see the power of words to encourage and to influence action. So in that story of Gideon that I just mentioned, um, we see that Gideon's faith was built all because he heard the enemy say that Gideon would win. We see how God, in our, in, our, um, in our passage today, we hear how God used Rahab's words to encourage the spies in that speech that she gave in verses 8 to 11. But what's interesting is as, we, as you go through that speech, we notice that God, that Rahab doesn't once mention anything except what God has done and what God will do. There's no mention of the challenge that faces the Israelites. She doesn't mention the fortified walls of Jericho. And there's a picture on the screen um, that shows us what archaeologists have predicted that the walls of Jericho actually look like. It wasn't just one wall. We're talking two walls with a massive hill in the middle. And it's the bottom of the top wall is about, they reckon, about 46 to 50 feet above ground level. So it's a pretty big task they've got to get into Jericho. But Rahab doesn't mention that in her speech. All she talks about is what God has done and what God will do. And that's because Rahab is not focused on the problem in front of them, but she's focused on the God who is bigger and above the problem. And then we don't only see it there, but in verse 1 um, of our reading today, we see that Joshua secretly sent the spies. It's kind of one of those little throwaway comments that would be easy to skip past. But it says that Joshua secretly sent the spies. And it sometimes, I wonder why. 
And actually, the reason that he did is because he had previously seen the power that words can have when he himself was the spy who was sent on the military mission by Moses back in Numbers 13. He was spent, sent with 11 other spies. Um, and then 10 of those spies, so 10 of them, and then except Caleb, um, who comes up in the book of Joshua, and Joshua himself. The other 10 come back with a report. It says this from Numbers 13. It says, we went into the land which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. A pretty encouraging way to start the report. I'd be pretty uplifted. I'd be ready to go. But, but the people who live there are powerful and their cities are fortified and very large. We've seen descendants of Anak there. So we're talking, the Anaks, um, the Anakites were giants. So they're saying that we've seen giants in the land. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. So that's the report that the spies brought back. No mention of God. And the result of this report was that we see the discouragement of two to three million Israelites in the wilderness. And we know that they were so discouraged because in the chapter after this, this report led to a whole-scale rebellion against Moses, who was the leader at the time. That rebellion nearly led to God destroying the whole nation. So we see that these ten men who came back with that report nearly brought down a whole nation by their words. So there we've got kind of the two different, um, different reports. We've got Rahab's report, which focused on God rather than the problem. And we've got the spies who focused on the problem and not necessarily God. And the question for us is, how do we use our words day to day? How faith-filled are the conversations and the words that we speak? Do our conversations sound like Rahab? Focusing on God, of what God has done in our lives and seeing encouragements as a result? Or are we like the spies, who sometimes focus only on the reality in front of them, with no mention of God? Our, the reality is our words, whether they're encouraging or discouraging, will have a ripple effect on those around us. And sometimes it can feel a bit weird and odd, unnatural in a way, to go and give a compliment or an encouragement to someone else. But I think we really err if we downplay the power of a genuine compliment to someone else. And one place that I personally have found great encouragement through um, many years is in small groups. I'm meeting midweek with other people in the church has always been a place where I've really been encouraged, had been able to be a part of many of those Rahab-like conversations, and I've always left with my faith built. And I found this, whether attending the groups or leading the groups, and even on those dark nights in winter, when I've got home from work and I sit down after dinner and I just don't want to go out. 
But what I found is every time that I have summoned that little bit of energy to get me out of the house and to drive over to the group, I've always found that there's been something for me to take away and be encouraged by. Sometimes there hasn't been. But the, the, the great thing about God is that I've been able to trust that maybe, just maybe, even though I might not have taken something away from that group, someone else has. And me being there may well have been a part of that. Being in small groups or being in alpha groups as we're launching our alpha groups across the next term is as much about others as ourselves. And actually, it's your smile, your welcome, you saying hello. Maybe it's you asking that question that everyone else actually wants to ask but hasn't got the confidence to ask. You being there in the room will make a difference. You being there is the encouragement that other people need, whether you, whether you feel like you're being encouraging or not. So maybe the question is, are you going to get involved in those alpha groups in the new term? Whether it be leading, hosting, serving, or just being there. If you want to get involved, and maybe you're thinking, yeah, that sounds great, but I don't know how. Well, come and talk to Johnny or myself, and we'd love to give you a bit more information on how to do that. So as we come into land and we think about this mission that the spies have been on, we see that we've got two spies who went on a military intelligence operation, sent by Joshua from one side of the Jordan over to the land to spy it out. But instead of coming back with detailed battle plans, with lists of things, working out where the weakness was in the wall, they came back with one line of encouragement. And the reason they could come back with that line was because they realised that God was going before them in the fight. He'd prepared the ground for victory, just as he prepares the ground for victory in our lives every single day. And they were encouraged through the words that, that were spoken to them by one prostitute Rahab, the only believer in the city, who didn't just happen to see them when they arrived, but also gave them bed and breakfast, protected them, and actually made their military operation a lot smoother than it might have been. So there are no coincidences with God. He's always moving in our lives. He's not just moving around us, but he's working through us and through the words that we speak as well. But just at the end of our passage, there's this lovely section where Rahab, Rahab's faith wasn't just there to encourage others, it was there to save herself. And not just herself, but save her family too. Her faith led her to put that scarlet cord out of the window which showed the Israelites where her house was so that she would be saved. Her faith led to an action that brought her saving, her salvation. Her life was spared because of it. And today we have that same truth. As we reflect on how God goes before us and as we reflect on the words that we speak and the encouragement that they can be, 
we also get to rest in the truth that we are saved by the scarlet blood of Jesus Christ. That we are saved by his work on the cross and his work alone. We can rest that he wants to work in our lives. As Anne said in the prayers, he wants to listen and work in us more than we could imagine. Because we have a God who loves us, a God who cares for us, and a God who wants to work in us and through us to bring victory to our lives, but also victory for those around us so that they can come to know Jesus for themselves. So as the band um, come up, let's just take a moment, um, if you'd stand as we do, just to have a moment just to reflect on what, um, what God might have said to us today. I'll just quickly pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who loved us so much that you went before us in Jesus. That you went to die on the cross for our sins. And that you rose again so that we could come and know your saving work in our lives. And Father, we praise you for the truth that you are at work in us and through us every single day. And Lord, we just pray that our, th our words and our deeds and everything we do would be for you and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.